good morning again. Happy Memorial Day weekend. So glad you're here. Again, thank you um, for those of you who have friends or families um, who gave their life. And so we do acknowledge, we do remember them today. We don't take that lightly either. On a, on a, light, on a lighter note, much lighter note, trash talking. Trash talking in sports. Anybody here like to talk trash? Yeah, should know. Oh, Cam, you raise your hand, your hand very clearly there. All right. One of my pet peeves is people who trash talk, who talk the talk, who talk a big game, and then don't back it up. If you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. Um, there, there's, not, there's nothing worse than like the person who just runs their mouth and then that's kind of about it, right? They're, they got nothing to show for that. And this isn't just, you know, on the basketball court, not just on the football field. This could be, uh, if you're like me, you've encountered a car salesman like this. Uh, or someone, if you have a, an appliance issue at your house and you go and get a plumber or a refrigerator repairman or whatever, they come in, oh, yep, here's the problem, here's what I can give you, it will solve it, and it's way better than any other plumber or competitor will offer you. And then, you know, two weeks later, it doesn't work. If you buy this product, do this. Oh, we got you. They talk a big game, but they can't back it up. God's kingdom isn't just talk. God's kingdom isn't just talk. Um, God's kingdom shouldn't be just an explanation of Jesus and the good news he brings, although it is an explanation, of course, I'm not diminishing that, uh, but it, it sure does seem like the church does a lot of talking, but where's our walking? See, the kingdom of God, when you enter the, the rule and reign of the creator of the universe, there is talking, but there should also be an, an experience, an encounter to the good news of Jesus. And uh, if this seems foreign to you, let me just simply quote the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 4.20, um, puts it very plainly. He writes this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. In the kingdom of God, we don't just talk the talk. We ought to walk the walk. Um, Craig Springer, he used to be the executive director at Alpha USA. We run Alpha here. We love Alpha. Um, he used to be Rachel's boss. He just came out with the book last year, and it included a, a bunch of research. So this, this research is brand new, very relevant, and it was all about how the church reaches non-Christians, uh, what we would call in-house evangelism. And so he's writing on evangelism, on reaching non-Christians in 21st century America, and here's what he writes. Here's the problem. Most of my evangelism efforts in those days were my attempts to lead people into the gospel through an explanation of God, rather than both an explanation and in an experience of God. 
Then I wondered why I wasn't seeing the kingdom fruit of greater and greater salvations, which held on in a lasting measure. I was acting as if the key was people knowing enough about the gospel, I seemed to believe, and lead as if the gospel could be fully understood and internalized through explanation alone. Evangelism is not only an exchange of information. Evangelism must become an invitation to God's presence. And here's the line that shook me. The deep spiritual hunger in our world today is for so much more than explanation alone. The hunger is for an experience. Explanation matters. Talk matters. He's not saying it doesn't. He's saying there's got to be more. The deep spiritual hunger in our world today is for so much more than explanation alone. The hunger is for an experience. What if, as is always the case, the ways of Jesus, the practices of Jesus, the methods of Jesus actually meet that hunger that thirst that our culture has right now? And what if it's actually, if we're just humble enough to say the church that's actually gotten off track? The American church is great at talking. We've mastered that one. But are we great at walking people into the power and presence of God? Let's turn to Mark chapter 3. Now, um, if you've been here, we're, we're marching through Mark, and we've actually already gone through Mark 3, but I want to take us back a little bit so that we can trace a theme, uh, trace a method, if you will, that John Mark, the writer of this bi biography, wants us to see. So we're not going to be in Mark 3 this morning, we're going to be in Mark 6, but I want us to start Mark 3, chapter 13, excuse me, verse 13, in chapter 3. Um, if you need a Bible, we've got the free orange ones underneath your chair. And I'll be starting on page 684. All right, here we go. So Jesus, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed the twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. <laughs> All right, this is going to get fun. So real quick, chapter 3. Jesus, here's what he does. He takes, in this case, 12 guys. And he invites them to himself. He says, hey, come be my disciple. Come be my apprentice. Come be my follower. And it's not by mistake that Jesus chooses 12. He intentionally chooses 12 because uh, deep in the Jewish mind are the 12 tribes of Israel. You guys hear me say all the time, Jesus was Jewish and we have to understand him as a Jewish rabbi. 
The people of God, the family of God, was started through 12 tribes. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, hey, I'm going to come up with a new Israel. I'm going to redefine who the people of God are, who the true family of God is. And so I'm going to start with these 12 lads who are a bunch of nobodies and mess-ups and have anger issues and a bunch of other scandalous things. But that's why he chooses 12. He's symbolically saying, hey, here's going to be my church. Here are the new people of God. And so the question becomes, okay, well, what are, what are, the, what are things that this 12, what, what are they supposed to be doing? How do they behave? How is this new people of God, what are they going to look like? Verses 14 through 15. Really easy. You're going to be with him. And then he's going to go send you out, and you're supposed to do what he does. Preach and cast out demons. Now, if you didn't catch it, that's an awful lot like our mission statement here at the bridge. So our purpose here at the bridge is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And honestly, it's not that uh, we're creative. We got that literally straight from Jesus. So he says in chapter 3 that they might be with him, and then they end up going and doing what he does. We want to take on that exact same method of discipleship. And so what happens from chapter 3... To chapter 6, these 12 dudes, they just spend time with Jesus. They follow him around. They eat meals with him. They, They see him do miracles. They see him pray for people. And they just soak it in. They just spend time with him. And then we get to chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 6. So turn the page. And then we we begin to see this pivot in John Mark's biography of Jesus. And what Jesus does here now is his disciples have spent time with him. And now it's time for him to commission them to send them out to do what he does. Chapter 6, starting at verse 6. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village and calling the 12 to him. So it's the same 12, all right? He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Now, real quick, um, if you're wondering, okay, what's with this whole like two by two thing? Deeply embedded in the Jewish mind, coming from two verses. I'm not going to read them. You can jot them down if you want, though. Numbers 3530 and Deuteronomy 17:6. In the Jewish mind, for a witness to be credible, for a witness to be believed, for them to be taken as trustworthy, there needed to be a, a second witness. So two people. And so all that Jesus is doing here is he's saying, hey, I'm going to send you out in twos so that you come across so that you can be trusted as credible witnesses. That's what's going on there. So he sends them out two by two, gives them authority over impure spirits. We read on verse 8. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread. No bag, no money in your belts, so no fanny pack, 
Although those are starting to come back in, I've noticed. Nothing new under the sun. Verse 9, this is a, I'm going to tease them. It's a shout out for our tech director uh, back out there. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. If you don't know Alex, our, our tech director, Alex doesn't believe in wearing shoes. He only wears sandals. All right? So for Christmas this year, get Alex a bunch of sandals, and that will be the happiest thing forever. And Alex, don't show a weird picture of me up there or try to get me back, all right? <laughs> Verse 10, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Alan Scott, he's a pastor just 25 minutes from here in Anaheim. He's got this fantastic book called Scattered Servants. And he has this line. He says, God always answers the cries and longings of hurting humanity with the words, so I send you. God always answers the cries and longings of hurting humanity with the words, so I send you. Jesus launches his ministry by gathering 12 dudes and then sending them out. Foundational to Jesus, if you're new to him, Jesus is like a hands-on guy. He will push you, invite you to be sent out. Uh, Maybe think of it as like a holy adventure. I think everyone in, in different capacities, of course, but every one of us here is wired to go on some type of adventure in your life. And what I mean by that is that you are created for a purpose, you are wired in a particular way, at a particular time, with particular people to be sent out for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And I think an often common problem for modern day Christians in America is I think we're actually bored. Meaning, I think we end up focusing on things right in front of us and we end up complaining or being negative or grumble or getting caught up in whatever because we have lost sight, actually, of the grand adventure and vision that Jesus is calling us out to. And we lose track of that and we focus on what's right in front of us and we're bored when Jesus calls you to the adventurous life. Now, let's put ourselves in this scene. Put yourself, if if you're one of the 12, Jesus, this brilliant Jewish rabbi who ends up being the son of God, tells you, hey, I want you to go out and I want you to continue my ministry. These people, they're, they're fishermen, they're tax collectors. Uh, we know there's two brothers who have pretty severe anger issues. They're called the sons of thunder. It's not a compliment. And Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out. 
I would imagine, at least if that was me, I might respond with, oh, yeah, Jesus, hold on. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have like any degrees from an, an elite university. I mean, I don't even have degrees. I, I don't know, uh, you know, my like Myers-Briggs compatibility test number. I don't know if I'm wired correctly for this. Hey, Jesus, do you know my Enneagram number? I don't have the right personality for this, Jesus. Jesus, do you know my, my financial investment portfolio is not doing well, and you're going to trust me? Jesus, uh, I'm not a pastor. I don't know Greek. I don't know Hebrew. I don't know how to pray in front of people. I don't know the, the right words to use. Jesus, yeah, I know that. And I'm still sending you out. We don't have excuses. Because the 12 people that Jesus chose weren't the cream of the crop. And so right away this morning, here's what I want you to ask yourself. Like the most foundational thing to this whole morning is you understanding yourself this way. Do you view yourself as being sent out and commissioned by Jesus? Do you view yourself as an agent of God's kingdom? Uh, do you view yourself as an ambassador? The Apostle Paul uses that word. You're an ambassador of Christ. Do you view yourself as a delegate of Jesus' kingdom? America has delegates and people, ambassadors all over the world, right? And they represent America in those countries. Is that how you view yourself if you call upon the name of Jesus? You are sent out. If you are a disciple of Jesus, he invites you. Part of being a disciple of Jesus is that you're to go do what he does. That's that phrase, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, Rick Warren says this, a church is measured by its sending capacity, not its seating capacity. How much of a sending church are we? That's more impactful than how many seats that we have full. But Mark, I, okay, I don't have the degrees. I don't know how to pray. I'm not an educated, trained pastor. I don't have the skills, the right experience. Verse 7. Calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two, and here it is, and he gave them authority over impure spirits. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you're his delegate, if you're his ambassador, if you're being sent out, Jesus sends you out with his authority. This is why you're sent out. You're not sent out alone. You're sent out with his authority. Uh, again, Alan Scott, who I already quoted, he, he, this is a, such a fantastic line. Kingdom authority is for the streets, not just the priests. Kingdom authority is for the streets, not just the priests. 
that we would catch that vision. Well, authority for what, Mark? Well, according to this passage, and also Luke 9, verses 1 through 2, and also Matthew 10, this same narrative is shared three times, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. According to these passages, and take this up with Jesus, not with me, it's to cast out demons and heal the sick. Again, take that up with Jesus, not me. I didn't choose the discipleship track. But here's what I do find fascinating is that whenever the authority of Christ is talked about, whenever the power of God is talked about, whenever the the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is talked about, check this out, in the New Testament, it's virtually always, most times used in the context of being sent out. Of being a witness, of being a delegate, of being the hands and feet of Jesus to rescue people from the power of Satan, from being in sin or addiction um, or disease and affliction. That is the context of the power and authority of Jesus. It's not just to feel all good and warm inside for our own selves. That would be an abuse of power. Um, A great UK pastor in Oxford, Simon Ponsby, uh, in my mind, probably one of the best books on the power of the Holy Spirit is by him, it's called More. He writes this, this hopefully shakes us up. The Holy Spirit did not come for our entertainment or excitement, but for our empowerment for evangelism. He filled the church that the church might fill the world. The church is full of those who want experiences of God coming upon them for their own sake, divorced from witness. Andrew Murray has pointedly stated, no one may expect to be filled with the Spirit if he's not willing to be used in missions. We must be careful not to pray, come Holy Spirit, unless we are prepared to go with the Holy Spirit. See, you only need the power of God. You only need the authority of Christ if you're willing to go out and to actually do something that requires it. If we want first century power and results, then we need to live with first century power and dependence upon the one who gives it. I mean, I used to always grow up hearing testimonies from missionaries. You know, they come back on a Sunday morning, they get on the stage, their announcements, and they would share these crazy, miraculous stories of all these miracles that they would see happen in Africa and South America and Asia. And it was like almost like they're talking straight from the book of Acts. And I was always kind of like, man, I want that. How come I don't see that? And here's the conclusion I've come to biblically and theologically. It's because they're living in such a way that it requires the power of God to show up. We don't. We love the Holy Spirit for ourselves and entertainment. And oh, by the way, why is the book of Acts called the book of Acts? If you don't know what the book of Acts is, Acts is it's the fifth book. It's right after the four Gospels, and it, it's, it chronicles for us the birthing, the, the first part of their church, how, how the church literally started when Jesus ascended to heaven and the Father. The book of Acts, let me ask you this, is it called the book of thoughts? What about the book of strategies? What about the book of like personality management and getting you set up for your gifts? How about a book of the explanation of the gospel? 
the book of plans. No, 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 no. It's called the book of Acts. Action. Walk and talk. We love to walk, but do we talk? What's that? Okay, my wife's correcting me, which is always a good thing. I usually need to be corrected. The book of Acts is full. I mean, just read it. The book of Acts is a manifesto of what the church should look like, of actually what the church did look like 2,000 years ago. And it's full of prayer, and it's full of healing the sick, of blind people seeing. I mean, crazy, crazy things. I'm not saying that it's not crazy, but that is what it looks like. And so again, first question, do you view yourself as being sent out? Second, then do you operate in the authority of Christ? Do you operate in the authority of Christ? Now, <clears throat> what does that mean? Operate in the power of Christ. Sounds cool to say, right? But like, what does it palpably look like? Um, someone who left a, a rich history and a heritage of actually doing this in a biblical way um, was John Wimber. He died in the 90s, but he started a movement um, of that church in Anaheim. And in his book, I love this metaphor he gives. Here's how he explains the authority of Christ. He says, for example, a traffic policeman does not have the physical powers to stop cars. Right? However, he does stop them. Because he wears a badge and a uniform given to him by a higher authority. We have been given a badge and a uniform, so to speak, by Jesus. These gifts become effective when we learn to wear them and use them correctly. And I will highlight when we learn to use them correctly. Because there are lots of people who abuse and don't use the authority of Christ correctly. This takes us to verses 8 through 11. Let me reread this for us. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Those instructions, I'm just going to go out on a limb and probably say sound pretty odd and strange to most of us. Does anyone like do those things normally? All right, that's what I thought. Maybe in the 70s with a bunch of hippies. <clears throat> so what? Jesus, these are very bizarre instructions. What are you getting at? Um, the message, which is a modern-day translation, I think it helps us grab a hold of what Jesus is getting at. So let me read this translation of that. Don't think you need a lot of extra equipment for this. You are the equipment. No special appeals for funds. Keep it simple. No luxury inns. Get a modest place and be content there until you leave. And if you're not welcomed, not listened to, quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene. Shrug your shoulders and be on your way. In other words, don't act weird. Uh, be simple. Be normal. 
Don't make a scene out of this. Don't do this for money. Don't don't use my authority for power to manipulate people. Don't play favorites. Instead, stay humble. And most importantly, when you're sent out and you operate in the authority of Jesus, completely trust and depend upon God. Keep it simple. Don't attract attention to yourself. And did you check out the last part? This is, oh, this is so good. Verse 11. He talks about if you go and you're basically ministering to people and they don't like what you're saying or if something goes wrong, in short, if you experience failure, he says that will happen. Don't be alarmed at it. Actually expect it. When Jesus sends out his disciples both 2,000 years ago and us today, it's the same for us. When you go out and you minister, you will experience failure. That's okay. He says it's going to happen. And it reminds me that our job, our responsibility, our calling isn't to heal people. It's to make ourselves available to be a conduit for that. The responsibility to heal someone is up to God, not us. Our responsibility is to pursue. His job is to do it. That is very, very, very important to grasp for a number of reasons. One, you don't have the power, I don't have the power. But B, God is so much bigger than we are, and there are reasons why sometimes people don't get healed. And again, that then goes into the abuse category of people who force something or manipulate people. No. Make it simple. Don't cause a scene. Don't do it for money. And sometimes you will experience failure. I think our culture is hungry for Christians who act this way today. I think our culture is hungry for the church to not just talk the gospel, but to demonstrate the gospel in a normal, non-awkward, weird, forceful way. Um, as Mike Pilvachi puts in the title of his book, to be naturally supernatural. We make things awkward. That, that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus is such a humble, compassionate, loving person. Everything Jesus does is to have someone feel loved. And I think our culture right now needs some love. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's true. Our culture is hungry for the church to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God for us in a humble way to carry a unique authority, to operate in word and spirit, learning about God and actually living out what God does in the book of Acts. The problem with churches, well, there's a lot of problems, but one, they, they, we operate on a spectrum like everything in life. You have churches that are all about power and encounter, and they end up being weak 
about proclamation. They don't have a robust theology on explaining the gospel. And everything just becomes about experience. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum, this happened to be the one that I grew up in, it was all explanation. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what he's done, which is all true and needed. But then there was no experience. There was no encounter. There was no power. It was just dry cognitive. Both aren't biblical. Jesus' way of discipleship is proclamation and demonstration, is, is word and spirit. The temptation is always to just do one. We have to have a robust theology of the kingdom to experience the kingdom. Some of us love to talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk. And then there's other of us who we just love to walk, but we don't talk. Whatever that means. Hopefully you get my point. It's explanation and encounter. You, you guys get what I'm saying here? True story. I think we've shared this once, uh, a couple months ago. Um, he's gone this week. Uh, there's an individual that goes here named Chris Lepe. And Chris, when he showed up at the bridge, um, Chris wasn't really a Christian. And he had lots of questions. Uh, he, would, he would be probably what you would call a, a skeptic. And Chris had heard lots of explanations of the gospel. It wasn't like he had never been to a church before. Chris enrolled in some of our programs, one of them being Alpha. Um, if you don't know what Alpha is, one of the things about Alpha is that it is intentionally wired for people who don't know Jesus yet or who have just started to get to know him. And so Alpha very clearly articulates who Jesus is, what the good news is, how do you follow this Jesus? That's very clear. They quote from the Bible. So you, you can't miss it. But another thing that Alpha does towards the end of the program is that it begins to ask questions like, hey, does, uh, does healing still happen today? Like, who's the Holy Spirit? Is, is he involved? What is this power? What is this experience of the gospel? And it actually means what it says because then towards the end, you actually have this moment to pray for people who need healing. Imagine that. We actually do and pray for things talked about in the Bible. And so there's this circle of us right out there outside patio on a Wednesday night. And Chris raises his hand and says, yeah, I, I would like to be prayed for. M my shoulder I've been in pain. Actually, I can't even really move it. I, I can't put my shirt on in the morning because my shoulder is in that much pain. So we form a circle. People lay hands on Chris. And can I just be honest with you? I was entirely full of anxiety and freaking out at that point. Because here's what's running through my head. What if Chris doesn't get healed? Um, if Chris doesn't get healed, is this going to actually make his spiritual journey worse? Meaning he's going to be more disappointed, more discouraged, and full of more questions. And so here I am as a pastor. I mean, I'm not saying this out loud. Of course, I look, you know, I'm very, mm, yeah. but I'm full of anxiety internally. I'm actually a little uncomfortable with this. So we pray for him. All, all very normal, natural. It's not like anything crazy happens. 
We go home. Chris goes home that night. I wake up the next morning, and, um, you know, I have the, the silence feature on your phone, which is a great feature. <clears throat> Chris had texted me at 4 a.m. So I read it at like 8 a.m. or something. And he says, Mark, you won't believe this, but I don't have any more pain in my shoulder anymore. Mark, I, I put on my shirt this morning, and I didn't need help. Uh, Mark, I think I got healed. Uh, yeah, kind of, I mean, let me recheck my phone. Like, is this the right person? You know what I mean? Because like, e- even for myself, I was kind of like, what? <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> I talked to Chris on the phone later that day. He's like, yeah, actually, like, I went home that night, and even as I was driving using the steering wheel, like, it felt good, but I didn't want to say anything because I was skeptical of it myself as well, and so I just wanted to go home, kind of make sure it works, you know, wake up in the morning, put the shirt on. He's like, oh, it still works. So, like, I, 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 I'm good to go. I'm healed. <laughs> Kristen got baptized this Easter. Chris heard an explanation of the gospel. Chris experienced the gospel. And it was actually in that moment that the power of the Holy Spirit changed his life. So here's how I want to end this morning. I want to end with practical steps for this. Like, what does this actually mean? look like. And I understand that this is a very large topic and could go a number of directions. Um, And so you're not going to leave here with all of your your questions answered. In some ways, you'll probably leave with more questions. Um, But I want to focus on that phrase that Alan Scott says, that kingdom authority is for the streets and not just the priests. The paradigm that I want us just to completely wreck this morning is that only pastors can do this stuff. That is a lie from Satan. Jesus sent you out to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God. Actually, let, this is inaudible. We don't have the, it's not on the screen, but I'm going to read for us Luke 9. Luke 9, 1 through 2. This is the exact same uh, story of this from Mark 6. Here's how Luke words it. I mean, this is just black and white clear. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and, and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. It's really easy to interpret. Go out, proclaim the kingdom of God, and heal the sick. You don't need to go to seminary for that. You go to seminary, actually, you probably won't believe that because it'll mess with you. They call it cemetery, not seminary. But anyways, if anybody here is planning on going to seminary, I'm so sorry. You can save money, though, by not going. But anyways, all right. So Mike Pilvachi, we had him here a month and a half ago or so. Raise your hand if you were here. All right. So Mike's got a book, literally the title of the book, which I think is almost like the message, is Everyday Supernatural, Living a Spirit-Led Life Without Being Weird. And that's just so refreshing to me, because the only people I knew growing up who led a spirit life were weird. (laughs) So how do we do this? Four steps. We'll put them up on the screen. Here's the first one. 
someone comes up to you for prayer, here's how you start off. How can I pray for you? Or, where does it hurt? Now, this seems like common sense, right? I can tell you right now, as a pastor, a lot of people don't start off that way. They have their own agenda. Oh, I want to preach at you. If you want to pray for healing, when someone comes up to you, or if you approach someone, hey, can I pray for you? Hey, what would you like prayer for? Oh, I have this pain in my body. Oh, oh. Okay, where? Is it a headache? We want to pray specifically into stuff. That's step one. Step two, follow the lead of the Spirit. Two sub-points for this one. You could probably do one of two things. Uh, both aren't wrong, all right? One, if you don't know what to pray, just pray in the name of Jesus for whatever they told you to pray for. You can't go wrong with that. And you're praying in the name of Jesus. Not by your authority, not by your well wishes, your mindfulness throughout the week. No, in the name of Jesus Christ, pray for this migraine to go away. The other thing that you can do is you can tell this person, let's say I'm praying for someone right now, let's say they have a headache. Hey, Susie Q, um, can we just... Can we just wait for a little bit and just be silent? And what you're doing in this is that you're posturing your heart. Okay, God, I want to hear from you. What what do you want to do, God, in this situation? Not what I want to do, but God, what do you want to do? Maybe God gives you a verse out of the Bible to share with them. Maybe he gives you a picture This morning, pre-service prayer, I had a picture that came to me. It was of a rubber band that was being stretched. And so there was a lot of tension on the rubber band because it was being pulled two ways. And it felt like this picture was saying, some of us are stretched and tense, and we just need to be like a rubber band just placed on a table that's loose and wiggly and not tense-filled. If that means nothing for you, let it go in one ear and let it go out the other. And by the way, You never say, oh, God said this. No, you don't know that, actually. So don't say, thus saith the Lord. I think a really good way to make people feel comfortable, to make people feel loved, is to say, hey, this picture came into my mind. If this relates to you, great. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. Because everything we do, we want to love on people. We want to make them feel uncomfortable. We want people to feel encouraged and more loved after praying with us than they did before. So God, what do you want to do? You have a verse, a picture. Um, Sometimes when people experience a physical hurt, it could be related to like a childhood emotional wound. So the real issue actually isn't the physical, it's the emotional. What what, what is God trying to show us? Third thing, check in with them. Why don't we do this more in prayer? Hey, Susie Q, how, how are you feeling right now? Oh, I feel better. Great. Praise God. Here's one. If we lay, if you lay a hand on someone, Ask them first. 
And the best place to do it, if they're okay with it, is a shoulder. I just want to, Susie, how are you doing? Are you doing better? Great. Um, I don't feel any different. Okay, well, would you mind, like, maybe let's just keep on praying. Have you already prayed for a while? Okay. Hey, let's, let's, let's wrap this up. Last thing, fourth thing, follow up. Um, we never, we need to be following up in our prayer. Again, why? Because we want to love someone. If someone's come to me and they said, oh, uh, I had this huge headache, whether they're healed in the moment or not, it's, it's relationally loving of me to follow up with them the next time I see them. Hey, Susie, I just wanted to check in. How are you doing? Is the headache any better? Uh, it could also be, maybe I have a sense of like, hey, I, I would love for you when you go home today, what? Why don't you just read the scripture? Why don't you keep on praying? Healing's also not a one-time thing. Sometimes God doesn't heal at all, and we need to continue to pursue that. Sometimes he heals like in bits and pieces. There should always be an off-ramp and an on-ramp, follow-up. Now, here's what I want to end with. Um, Right after that section in his book, Mike says this, and this is gold. The best way to learn how to be effective in praying for healing is to pray for healing. It's like learning how to cook. We can read all the cookery, that must be a British thing, cookery books that have ever been written and watch hours of cookery shows on TV. But the only way we will learn how to cook is by actually having a go. When it comes to healing, the best way to learn is by doing. We do this with everything in life. If you, want to, if you want to get strong, if you want huge biceps like I have, <laughs> you got to be on Bowflex every night. They don't just happen. If you want to be a great preacher, you got to practice preaching. I mean, everything comes with practice, so why would it be any different with healing? But we think it's just, oh, instantaneous. Sometimes, sure, but it also comes through practice. So I'm going to take a risk this morning. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to go into our usual two songs of worship. But what I also want to invite is if you're here and you need healing. Now, it doesn't have to be physical. You could have an emotional childhood hurt that's been gnawing at you for years and years, that you've just been stuffing. Like someone prayed pre-service prayer this morning that people are coming with secrets this morning. Jesus wants to heal your secrets just as much as a migraine. In fact, the secret may be causing the migraine. So if you need healing this morning for anything, can you just come forward? Like right now, we got Doug. Anybody else? Here we go. Anyone else? Looks like we got a lot of healing to do this morning. So here's what we're going to do now. Remember how I said that, uh, what Alan Scott said, that kingdom authorities for the streets, not the priests? That's everyone else. I want to invite everyone else 
just come forward. Just choose someone you don't, you don't need to have talked to them before. Remember, we do this out of love. Hey, how can I pray for you? What's hurting? It might be best for a female to go to a female, a male to a male, right? Again, we want to be trustworthy. We can spread out more if we need more room here. We want everyone to be prayed for because we just want to follow the way of Jesus. Everything else is in his hands. We're just making ourselves available. So the band's going to start singing. I'm going to get out of the way. And so, Lord, we do just pray that ancient prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. And when we say, come, Holy Spirit, we we just want to go with whatever you're doing. And so I just, these people right here, Lord, pray that everyone would get prayed for, that they would feel loved, that we can take a risk this morning, we can go out of our comfort zone. Because you you are a God who calls us to pursue this. So have your way, God.